Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Literacy Podcast. Melissa and Lori love literacy. We are very excited about our special guest today because she is a teacher Teacher. and we love teachers. So (laughs) Lindsay, thank you for being here with us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. You're kind of famous because this is your, is this your second podcast or it's am I? my it, second one. Yeah. Okay. On the, I didn't know if you'd been on other podcasts. No, not yet. <laughs> just as the podcast rounds. Yeah. Po- podcast circuit. So Lindsay was on the Amplify podcast and um, we heard her story and then she actually emailed us when we were talking about sound walls and it kind of prompted this larger conversation. And we said, Hey, you know, you're a podcast veteran. Come on, come on our <laughs> veteran, podcast. Yeah. Our, tw- our Twitter <laughs> friend. Yes. yes. <laughs> Love Twitter. <laughs> so, well, welcome. Yeah. Thank tell, you. Tell Thank you. Listeners a little about yourself, Lindsay. Okay. Um, well, I'm a teacher. I'm a mom. I have four children. Um, I've been teaching. Let's see. How long have I been teaching? Like 10, <laughs> 10, this is my 10th year, I think. So um, I taught second grade for five years. Then I had this, um, big kind of break while I stayed home with my children. So I have like this Mm -hmm. 12 year gap. And then I returned to the classroom. I taught kindergarten for three years, then second grade last year. And I'm teaching second grade this year again. So awesome. Yeah. I did love second. When I taught, I loved teaching second grade, anything younger than that. I think like kind of drove me insane. Like, you know, I like (laughs) second and older, I was totally okay with, but I am excited that you're, you get to apply what we're talking about today to second grade. Cause we have that. Yes. You know, I love that context. So I'm excited for this conversation. And I used to be like you, like when I first taught second grade, I just thought, Oh, I could never teach kindergarten. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I went back, I mean, I loved it. And I love the idea of being able to prevent yeah. Some of those reading difficulties, right? So yeah. that was great. Like, get them from the start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you had like a little bit of a transformation throughout those years. Yes. <laughs> in the way you thought about uh-huh. teaching reading. Do you want to tell us a little about? Yes. And I'm sorry for those that watched Amplify or listened to because it's a little bit of a repeat, I guess. But yeah, um, the, the first five years of teaching, I was, I was heavily trained in balanced literacy. I loved it. And, um, I always said, Oh, it's the best way to teach reading. But of course it's like the only way I knew to teach reading because that's <laughs> what I learned in college and my, my early years. And then when I returned to, um, teaching, um, after that gap, I had a couple things going on at the same time. I, um, I, I was teaching kindergarten and it's like the first time I really started to see, I, I, like, I didn't like using those three queuing strategies, which I never had realized they were so damaging before, but now I was like, you know, we spend all this time teaching the letters and then I bring them back and I'm, I'm so excited to show you how, now that you know, those letter sounds, you're going to be able to read, but the books I had were all, you know, those predictable repetitive texts. The Mm -hmm. only way to get through them was by relying on the pictures and context. And Mm -hmm. so suddenly I found myself saying, Oh, wait, you can't sound this one out. You know, look at the picture. Does it give you a clue? And, Oh, it was like just making me cringe (laughs) because I thought, 
I'm giving these guys the wrong idea of what reading is. And I really want to solidify those sound symbol correspondences that we've been practicing. And these books are not allowing me to do that. So I started just to get a little uneasy about the things I had been taught and how to teach reading. And I just was frustrated that year, I remember. And then at the end of that same year, my son was diagnosed with severe dyslexia. And really that is what got me on the path that I am now, because then I started researching, you know, what do um, those with dyslexia need to read? And that brought me to a research base of what everyone needs to read and what the brain does when we read. And so I just, I learned more and more. It was like a starved animal. I just couldn't stop learning and reading. (laughs) And um, yeah, so that, and then I started, you know, it took me a little while. Like it was, it was still like a, a year until I felt comfortable enough to work with my own son and I had more training and had done more reading and then everything that I was applying with my son, I would apply in my classroom. And so, and just seeing that difference really, you know, showed me just, you know, how much better this approach was. I want to, I want to know more about the difference, but first I do want to dive in, note my play on words, to your really famous blog post that uh, (laughs) Think or Swim. Um, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about that because I think that our, I I think it's a fabulous analogy, which is I think what made it kind of you know, rise to the surface. I worked really hard on all of these really fun puns. Um, Melissa, are you catching them all? (laughs) You're diving deep. Diving deep. Uh, (laughs) I'm reminding myself of, uh, of Kier because Kier is like the, the pun (laughs) king. And I feel like I'm like, oh, this is too easy. Um, so thank you for naming it sink or swim, Lindsay. Um, but I, (laughs) I think that if you share a little bit about that, 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 that might be able to help uh, listeners put into context, you know, what you learned. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, you know, I just remember sitting in my kids swimming lessons and, um, my two little boys, you know, they were in these group lessons forever, but they hadn't learned to swim. And then they were literally, I just remember watching them literally walking across back and forth the, the pool and all the other kids are actually swimming back and forth. Right. And then they're doing their little arm motions and they're like waving at me. Hey mom, we're swimming. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, we need private lessons, you know, (laughs) but, but, um, and so I was just thinking about that. And then I was thinking about, you know, reading and like that first year I was teaching kindergarten and, and then my years of teaching second grade and how, um, we're just, they're kind of memorizing the, the pattern of the book and they're looking at the picture and it looks like they're reading Mm -hmm. and it first grade, it might look like they're reading and second grade, it might look like they're reading because they've gotten so good. Some of these kids are so, and they're smart and they're Mm -hmm. really good at guessing from the context. And then suddenly they get into harder books and the teachers or the parent might realize, oh my goodness, this student can't read, right? You have to look a little deeper. And so I think a lot of times you hear, you know, teachers are a little put off when they hear like, what? The three queuing strategies are wonderful. And my kids are reading. Look, my kids are reading. And yes, it looks like they're reading, but you have to dive a little deeper. And, um, you know, especially in second grade, you know, you can see it when we do the cadence, you know, um, screening three times a year. And at the beginning of the year, I will really see that where um, they don't do too bad on the passage, but on the nonsense words, 
they can't read them at all. And that Uh is just so interesting to me because I'm like, this is one who's kind of slipped through and we need to build, you know, his or her phonics knowledge, um, among other things. So it's just, I just think, um, you know, there's this appearance of reading and it really takes a deeper dive to, you know, (laughs) what's happening under the surface, you know, are they actually swimming or are they just walking through that pool? Yeah. I love first our very first episode, we have an analogy from swim lessons as well. It was not about the same one, but yeah, <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, it reminds me too of like, I think it was Emily Hanford's, one of Emily Hanford's podcasts where like there's an adult, right? Who is looking back and seeing her child do these things. And she's like, those are the things I did to like pretend I was reading, right? Like, yeah. Why is my, is my daughter being taught that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that was well, my yeah. life. Exactly. Kids strategy. naturally want to do it, right? <laughs> they just naturally do. They look at the picture and they want, you know, and yeah. so we don't need to teach that. They're already doing it. We need to like scale it back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was teaching second grade, I always had this like little uneasy voice in, in my head thinking, well, what happens when there's no pictures? You know, I, I, and I, I feel like then that kind of drove me to start reading and learning a little bit more, although it did take a really long time to make the, the transition. And so I'm wondering like, what differences did you see? You mentioned differences earlier, mm-hmm. um, bef- like pre-science of reading in your classroom and post-science of reading in your classroom. Yes. Well, and that just also <laughs> made me think of, um, you know, back to that reading, like the kindergarten years, it, it's a lot easier and faster to listen to a child if they can guess and memorize the pattern of the book. Oh, it's just point. so like, oh yes, this is great. And then you give a child a decodable book that they've got to like, you know, <laughs> just plod away mm-hmm. and it's slower. And, but in the end, it's in the long run, it's going to help them more. Right. Yeah. So, um, there's a lot of things that are different. Um, I just remember, and I, I described this in the other podcast too, so I'm sorry to repeat it, but it's just really how I felt in my early years. I felt like there was this fog over me. Like I just didn't understand, um, you know, the, really the process for learning to read. So I would, you know, I would, um, I, I felt like I taught phonics, but I had no scope and sequence. And it was just kind of Hmm, what word chunk should we learn today? Oh, look in our story, it's this one. So we're going to talk about this word chunk and we'll put it up on our wall. And, you know, it was just really kind of reactive to whatever the story was. And, um, so I, and I feel like now I just am so much more intentional and explicit. And I feel like I have so much more clarity where I know what to do. If, you know, a child, is struggling, then I know I'm going to drill down. I'm going to do a diagnostic. I'm going to see where their weaknesses are and work on that. Whereas before I was just kind of like, well, okay, they're on a, they're on a guided reading level D and we're just going to keep going. And, oh, we're done with the D's. I think they're ready to move to an E. Okay. Now we're going to plot our Cross way through the fingers, E's. They move and up. Sometimes the E's were easier than the D's. I don't know. You know, <laughs> so it's just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to, we're going to keep going. I'm going to do our little yeah. book walks and we're going to talk about the words in it. And somehow magically they're going to learn how to read. So, and the thing is that works for some students, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, but not for all of them. So I love that now I I have a clear path of what to do to help all of them. Mm-hmm. So, and um, I think before I never, you know, phonemic awareness wasn't even on my radar. So 
Now I teach that. I teach phonics with a scope and sequence explicitly, um, understand the role of fluency, and we work on fluency um, and, you know, understand the role of background knowledge and vocabulary with comprehension. So it's just like a complete 180 from before. Sure. Are we, are we still doing um, some puns around diving deep? We, oh, of course. That? Yes. Okay. Uh, all episodes. <laughs> Feel free. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can dive a little deeper, Lindsay, into um, yes. the, you mentioned like assessing your students and uh-huh. then like knowing what to do with them. And I'm wondering if you can just like give some real explicit, like talk to other teachers. What do you do? Yes. <laughs> yeah. we, we really want to hear a very very much get into the specifics. And I think that's going to be something that uh, helps like our podcast be different from the one you already did with Amplify. So, you know, although yes, of course your story is the same because it's your story. Yes. We want to go really deep. So start us off with, with this uh, assessment strategy. Okay. Well, first you should know that I'm a total nerd and um, <laughs> like if I'm bored, I might just analyze my students' progress monitoring data. <laughs> so I love the role of assessment. And I heard this great quote in a presentation last year that said, if you're not doing anything with the, the data from your assessment, then you probably shouldn't be giving the assessment. And I love that because it's really, there should be a purpose to it. So um, we use uh, we use a cadence, which is, you know, Dibbles Next, formerly known as Dibbles Next. So we give that benchmark three times a year. And then I will use that for progress monitoring as well. So I can track how my students are doing. And um, and then from there, you know, I take all my students below benchmark and and I give them a, a diagnostic, the, the core phonics survey to see where their phonics are and um, also the past um, so we can see how their phonemic awareness is. And my favorite assessment is just the informal assessment that I'm doing every day. I probably rely on that the most because, mm-hmm. you know, while, um, we're doing our phonics lesson and we're doing like dictation, I'm walking around and I'm noticing, you know, who keeps missing, you know, like right now I have a couple students that keep mixing E and I, I'm like, okay, I am mm-hmm. pulling these three to my back. I to my that. table later and we're going to be doing a little, you know, vowel intensive with them. And so just watching them and then in my small group time too, which is one of my favorite times, then I'm really listening to each student, how they're reading, what we need to work on, you know, so. Yeah, I think what makes this really interesting is that um, small group in a structured literacy classroom sometimes can be confusing or tricky. And I think it's because there's that uh, misunderstanding that or I guess the the way that we quote did small group and balanced literacy is not the practice that we're using currently. And so I think I would love to hear more about what happens during that small group time, both at your table, but also, mm-hmm. um, you know, out in this, the, the space of your classroom and yeah. I'm in the wild, in the wild. I know I was trying to think of a, a swimming reference, but I was like on safari in the jungle, you know, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. So I think small groups sometimes get a bad rap and, um, and yes, it doesn't replace my whole group instruction. I take that very seriously and I'm very explicit and systematic, but wow, I value my small group time. And, um, you know, we call them centers, um, because like, when else are you going to do your tier two 
intervention. Um, and there's some things that you just, you know, I want to give my students lots of time to practice and they need practice with feedback. And that's when I can be giving them feedback. Um, so yeah, I have right now, I just have three other kind of centers going on and I keep them really simple because <laughs> like no one has time for that. Right. When I did, um, <laughs> I think that I, every teacher listening is like, Whoo, thank goodness. Lindsay does simple centers. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, okay. So one of my centers, um, is reading and before, you know, cause some people are, okay. Silent reading is going to be a waste of time for students that are struggling to read because they're either going to sit there and stare at the page or they're going to, you know, pretend to read. to read. So everyone has the option to do audiobooks. And there's a great app. It's free for educators. It's called Epic. And so my students can choose whether to read Epic or read a book. And we do a lot so that um like last this year I haven't had a problem. Last year I noticed that I had some students that I knew they were my struggling, you know, some of my most struggling readers and they would get out. Like, I just remember this one little girl would get out this huge book, like chapter book <laughs> and sit there. And I was like, Aww. Oh my gosh, what? Oh my goodness. And so I really had to like, you know, show, have everyone one day use Epic and kind of show them what it was. Anyway, um, most of them, well, everyone loves it. And so now I just, it's totally okay. They know they can listen to the audiobook and they can follow along. Epic also yep. just has digital books that they can just read on there, right? That's so there's cool. more of a selection. Um, yeah. And, it and is, will, it free, is it free? It's for free educators? for educators. Yeah. That's what I thought. And, okay. Until and like in my time zone, until three o'clock. So my kids know <laughs> <laughs> after three, you know, like sometimes when they're done with something, they want to do Epic, but it's after three and it's like, sorry. Oh, oh. <laughs> that it. is really funny. I didn't think about that. And it, uh, it is, it is books that they can choose from. Like, can you share how they use that? Are there levels in Epic? Like, like I don't just, know much about it. It's just is like it, this big library of books. And so okay. I could create like some teacher picks, but they can go in by genre. And then some of them are read to you. A lot of them are read to you. And so it has like this little, you know, symbol on it that they know that then they could listen to it and follow along. And everyone loves okay. to do that. And then everyone has access, right, to um, grade level content. Mm -hmm. So it's great. There is one thing I would tell the listeners out there is to disable the videos that like they could watch videos in it. So I just disable that so that they're not watching <laughs> videos, but they're just accessing the books. That is a great tip. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Also as like a parent who's now going to download this app, um, going to disable the videos. I was like, this is sure. why Lori's asking questions. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, I was also thinking like, I want to make the point for listeners, like this is not a leveled reading app. This is, yeah. this yeah. is an app where where kids can choose the, the books that they're reading and they can choose, they can create their own little library so they can go to that. Really the teacher cool. can create a library. So I could do like a, you know, here's a bunch of Halloween fall books and they could go into that group. Yeah. And one it of could those, be seasonal. So. I'm imagining it just being so powerful, especially to build knowledge on what they're learning in, mm -hmm. you know, the core curriculum that, that would be very yes. exciting to think about. <laughs> yeah. So it's great. And then I have a great selection in my classroom, as well of books that they can choose. So that's my one. That's our reading center. Um, cool. Then we have our technology center and that I have them in a reading software program. 
Um, so they do that. So that's great. Cause both of those are no prep. Right. <laughs> and then, um, and then I have a writing center and, um, there's different things every week we have kind of a, a paragraph that we're working on. Um, so, okay. So I have a writing center, but it, it's not my writing instruction, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So kind of before yes. when I did more balance literacy, it was kind of that was our writing was writing prompts. Right. But you need to actually teach them how to write too. So, um, you know, we've already in whole group, our whole group, we've had a writing lesson where we have, um, you know, we're reading a text, we make an outline from the text and then on their own independently, they're going to create a paragraph from that outline that we did. And so that's one of the things they're working on, on the writing center. And then if they're done with that, then I do have like a, you know, we have like a monthly journal with topics, you know, that they can write about. And then sometimes I have out different little writing pages that they can get where they could write, um, you know, a letter to someone or, um, you know, a story of something they want. So anyway, so that's the writing center. So those are my three main centers I use right now. I used to also do a word work center and, um, I had different in kindergarten. When I taught kindergarten, it was great. You know, we had different, like I would differentiate those. So they knew which bin to get that. And they would work on, you know, some were working on matching uppercase and lowercase Mm -hmm. letters, and some were working Mm -hmm. on spelling CVC words. And, um, that takes a little more work and prep. Um, and then, you know, make, if we're being honest, right. (laughs) Yeah. it (laughs) It takes more work and, and they can get off task easily. So, you know, I would have, you know, some really cute, I wanted to do some hands-on things, but then like, you know, I had like little alphabet rocks and they're matching them, but then some might start stacking them and not really. (laughs) Um, but because of COVID last year, I couldn't do hands-on things because we couldn't share supplies. And so, um, I was like, well, we can just cut it out, I think. And, um, and it was fine. I didn't actually really miss it because it was easier (laughs) not, not using them. And my kids were still engaged in the other three centers. So, yeah. Can I tell you that those are the things that I see, feel like I see a lot on Instagram, like, um, addressing phonics, like creative ideas for like phonics centers or activities Mm -hmm. to do with your students. And they're using like the puppets and yeah. you know, Play-Doh and, um, different tiles and such. And I imagine that uh, just from being, having been a second grade teacher, I imagine that if I'm using them, that it would have to be for a very brief period of time. Yeah. Um, cause like you said, you know, I'm my own fourth grader and I mean, personally also, I can't resist popping the pop it. Like it's yeah, just it's kind of very fun. addicting. <laughs> um, but, so I'm curious how much time do kids spend in these centers? Um, pop it yeah. aside. <laughs> well, okay. So right now my entire, um, center block is like 50 minutes, five zero. Um, so I know people that do it shorter. Um, but I have a lot of students I need to meet with in small groups. So I keep them. So, you know, you just kind of divide that by three. That's how we are right now. Sometimes I put in a fourth center. If I have a, um, sometimes I can have a parent helper come in. So like last Mm -hmm. week she came in and played contraction bingo, you know, (laughs) and so then I think I extended about like five minutes, you know? Um, so anyway, like like 15 minutes or so, uh right? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. So yeah. And then that also is your small group time. So like you would spend 15 minutes with your small group. So I don't, how I do it is I don't assign myself a group. So I have my students Mm -hmm. and 
oh, I wish you could come in my classroom and see. I know. It, I know. That's but, not exactly what I was just thinking. Are you going to work after this? I wish we could just take us with you. you. <laughs> I have like a PowerPoint that has the three centers there and everyone's names under the PowerPoint. And then I had made this like... Um, this timer that's filling in with blue. So the kids knew, no, as soon as the, it's okay. all the way blue, the PowerPoint switches. I don't have to do anything because it's all on a timer. PowerPoint switches, music comes on, and then they know they have until the end of the music to get to their next center. It's like 30 seconds, you know, and then they do their next one. And even when I taught kindergarten, I mean, they, it was just like this well-oiled machine and people would come in my room and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe these kindergartners. And everyone knows exactly what they're doing, what they're <laughs> supposed to be doing and why. And I'm like, yes. So anyway, I have them assigned out. I don't have a group assigned to me because I don't want to be tied mm. down because sometimes one day I'm That's probably what makes more it with one group or yeah. sometimes it's shorter with another group or, you know, I'm switching the order because I know someone has to be pulled out or someone's checking out and I want to make sure I get their group before they check out or whatever. So that's how I work it. I love that. Oh, so simple. That's what I bet. That's why it's like easy for the kids to manage. Cause you're not like today we're doing the puppets center and the reading and this and that. Yes. Yeah. It's very, very it's just uh, simple and really they love it. And it's fun to see what their favorite is like some, you know, just love the reading center. And then I have some that love the writing center. And then they're like, I have this journal at home. Can I bring it and write when oh, I'm done wow. with my, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know? And so <laughs> it's, it's fun. Ah. Oh. So fun. I want to come so to your cool. classroom. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then it, I guess, I, and then it, what I'm doing with the ones that are coming back is kind of, you know, I have some groups that are more focused on just our phonics. Right. And, um, um, and decoding. And I have some groups that are a little more focused on fluency and some groups that were a little bit more focused on just the comprehension because their fluency is down, you know, vocab and comprehension and building their background knowledge. So I just, you know, have different goals, I guess. And, and then, but my number one goal in my small group is to do what I can't do in whole group. And <laughs> um, so, and really I love that is listening to them read and giving them feedback, you know, mm -hmm. right away. And so we don't, um, I have everyone reading at the same time out loud, which sounds crazy. It's really not They're um, <laughs> They're like whisper reading. And then I might, and then I lean into one to listen to how they're reading. And then I lean into the other and I will stagger start them so that you know they're not like at the same place as the person right next to them and so I can be mm -hmm. listening to them as they read those books so that's so cool that's what I do <laughs> <laughs> I just want to stamp this because I think you said it all already but in terms of like how the students get into those small groups it sounds like you give some you know the the different kinds of assessments that you mentioned already oh, and yeah. that that might be part of it but you also said like you might just listen to a student in whole group that day and hear something or you know, like we got to, yeah. we got to pull these three into a, into a group. So it might be like based on informal yes. assessments as well. So it sounds like it's just like constantly changing. Probably. Yeah, it is very fluid and it's changing. Or like I have one little girl who's, who's <clears throat> reading is pretty good. And then I just noticed her spelling and her vowels and her spelling. And I'm like, what is going on? Cause there's such a difference. Um, and and writing always usually lags behind, right? But so much so that I was like, okay, I do a little more writing with this group because this other group that I have, you know, we're just really solidifying their, their you know, grapheme phoneme correspondences. And so we do um, 
like word chaining. And I thought, okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to switch her to this group so that she gets the time with the word chaining because we need to work on that with her, you know, and then I can still, I can still, you know, work on her fluency as well, but that's kind of the focus of that group. So anyway, yeah, it changes. And I, um, but I do go off of that, like the beginning of the year, I go off of that Acadians, um, data that I have to make my groups. This is so helpful. Thank you for really, really getting in the trenches here. And I, I, I'm so excited because this is like the exact conversation I've been really, really wanting to have with a teacher. So thank you for engaging in this conversation with us. (laughs) No problem. Melissa, any thoughts? Um, I I have a couple more questions, but yeah, do you want to, I guess, where do you want to go from here? (laughs) I mean, I, I'm really interested to hear what Lizzie has to say about sound walls. I think that's going to be a great <laughs> okay. conversation. So okay. um, can I frame it a little bit first for everybody? Sure. Yes, because you're very good at that, Melissa. Go ahead. <laughs> well, we initially, we talked with um, Julia Lindsay, um, who is a researcher about sound walls. And, you know, she, she said um, what also came out in um, Tim Shanahan's blog this week of like, there is no research for sound walls, right? And that, that is the truth, right? No one has done a research study on sound walls. Yeah. Say <laughs> it has impact, but um, Lindsay, I think what I'd love to hear from you is like you said, there's, you know, there's science that it's based on, right. It's not just like totally out of left field. Right. Um, but more importantly, I think you've been using them. Like they're yeah. so popular right now. And I think yeah. what people need to hear is like, how are you actually using it and how has it been beneficial for you and your students? Okay. Um, so this is my fourth year using a sound ball. Um, so oh, you're like I, a veteran sound waller. I know, right? Way, <laughs> way before the trend started. Yes. Totally. <laughs> Very proud of that. No. Um, <laughs> so I love it. Okay. But I don't think the magic of the sound ball is in the sound ball itself. Right. And so Ooh. I see that a lot where people are, you know, kind of maybe hyper-focused on the sound ball. The sound ball is not the main event in my classroom. The main event in my classroom is my explicit systematic instruction, like my direct instruction. The, sh- the sound ball is just a shadow of what's happening in the classroom, right? It's a reflection of what's happening. So um, yes, now I teach, explicitly teach the phonemes and the graphemes that represent them. So how great is it to have this tool on the wall that we can refer to as we're learning them and just to help us solidify the sound symbol correspondences. That's what it does. Um, And then additionally, there is research. Ari has some research about um, the articulatory features and um, teaching the students the articulatory features of those phonemes. And so that's what we do with the sound wall and like sound wall with quotes instruction, right? Is that Now, we don't need to get super technical, but we're going to draw an awareness to the sounds and to the individual phonemes. And so that's what I can do is I can draw an awareness to what's happening with our mouth when we say the sound. And now we're going to connect it with a letter. And now we have this tool on the wall that's going to help us review them and remember them. And um, and it's going to help us as we're writing and spelling so, um, so it's, it's great. And this is the first year. So before I just made my own sound wall and I took my own four children and I took pictures nice. of their mouth and I put it up Aww. and I made my own little 
phonics cards, you know, and put them up on the wall. Um, and this year I'm piloting a, a company's program and, um, it's, Look at you. That's yeah. cool. and so it's really awesome because now I have these little lessons that are so fun to follow. And that kind of teach me, I'm like, Oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize I never thought about what my tongue was doing when I said that sound. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. And it's just, um, it's really easy. It's just, um, reading horizons that has the, that has this little, they're doing this pilot at this great sound wall. So it's really fun. So that's the first. And before that I was, I was just kind of, which I was able to do it on my own, but this is just nice. Less to think about. I was really um, impressed that you made your own. I was like, how, she knows it. She knows all those. I, I like watched so many, um, like, uh, the reading league had, a. You know, on YouTube, they have one. It's Don Durham presenting about sound walls. And I just, Ooh. I watched that like a couple of times and just learned all I could. And then of course, reading, you know, speech to print. And, um, and so in kindergarten, it was really just about changing my instruction from print to speech to speech to print. Right. And so, uh, yeah. and that's also kind of, I guess I didn't mention that kind of the sound wall is helping kind of you do that. Right. Like now I'm teaching from speech to print. So instead of letter of the day in, in kindergarten, I would have sound of the day. And so our sound of the day is, ah, okay, let's look get out our mirrors. What's your mouth doing when we say, ah, you know, and, um, and here's some words. Can you hear the ah sound in the words? And now we're going to connect it with a letter, you know, at the end. So just, right. and it doesn't need to be long. So, um, right. It's just a few minutes, just draw their awareness to it and then move on with your instruction. So I'm imagining this helping so many students more. So, I mean, in so many ways, but, uh, you know, especially in articulation, in speech, think about all of the yeah. reinforcement they're getting just yes. in, it's a very reciprocal teaching way to teach. Um, I, I'm just, I'm excited to hear how you use it. And I also love that you're keeping your instruction at the center and this is a supportive tool yeah. and not the tool or, or the right. instruction. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to, we're totally going to inbox this to Tim Shanahan because I feel <laughs> like he would, he would appreciate it. I, I think it really aligns with, with what, you know, he mentioned in that, um, that piece about the pet peeves and, and sound walls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while there's not like a research base to support it, that's not how you're using it. You're using it as a tool to support students in speech to print. Yeah. And, and then there's just little things that are, you know, like you, um, like I talked, mentioned earlier, how I have some students that are confusing E and I like, eh, eh. And so we like, we look at the picture, the mouth picture, and then we like, look how that is just a little difference, but you can see. And so talking about that, and then like, this was kind of cool that happened. It was a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, but I was at my small group table and, um, you know, we're doing our centers and I have a little boy that's sitting not too far from me. And I see he's in the, um, the, he's at the technology center. So he's working in the reading software and I can see that he is it's having him spell a word and he is missing the TH, right? And it's like just blank and blinking. And I can see, and so I see him look over at me because <laughs> I'm like, oh, he doesn't remember, right? That digraph. <laughs> and so I just pointed at my mouth and I, with my tongue between my teeth, like kind of asking him, is this what you're looking for, right? And he like, he his eyes light up and he points at and he does that and he nods his head. He's like, yes, that's what I'm like struggling Aww. with. And then I go and I just point to our sound while I point to the mouth picture with the tongue between the teeth. It was like, thankfully it was really pretty close to me. I point to it and then point under it where it has the TH 
And he's like, oh, he like, he nods his head, gets excited, turns and puts it in. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just, this is a way like he still, you know, he still needs help with some of those. Right. And so now what, where is he going to look next time? He's going to remember that. And he's going to look on the sound wall. Oh yeah. You know, until he gets it himself and then he'll yeah have it. So anyway, it was just kind of a fun, I thought that was so cool. It only took like a few seconds and I'm back there at the small group table the whole time working with someone else, you know, so that's really cool I think I think when we talked to Julia we shared something about I Dr. Stephanie Stoller do you know her Lindsay yeah uh I mean she just had this quote that I like keep coming back to which is like you have to know the science before you get to the sound wall right like if you don't know this like don't even bother putting up the wall (laughs) if you don't know the science behind it which makes like you you know it right yeah because if you're just putting it up there and then you right don't know how to use it the way you are talking about Yes. And that is the problem now because it's become such a trend that everyone wants to put up a sound wall, but they don't really know why or how or what, you know, or they're, they're maybe not teaching all those things, but they're going to have them up there. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. I even remember some people in Baltimore, this was probably a year or so ago, um, who kind of talked about it as like interchangeable for a word wall. Right. And I could imagine like, instead of putting the word book under the letter B, put it Mm -hmm. under the sound. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that doesn't really, <laughs> I was like, not I really doing what you want to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's not helping you to, to teach students. Yeah. Sounds. yeah. So. I think about, I think if we think about it, like you just shared, Lindsay, the from speech to print, mm-hmm. that's, I think a helpful way to conceptualize it and to think mm-hmm. about it. And then as the teacher, once you know the science, and I mean, I think we can encourage teachers, like even if you're listening and you're just learning about the science, like I don't think you have to be an expert <laughs> in order right. to try this out, right? Like yeah. I, I just, I want to name that as well. I think that's important to say. Right. And definitely it was a growing experience for me, right? Because I put it up first and I'm still learning about it, mm-hmm. you know, and, it, and it's also great as a teacher just to kind of realize, oh yeah, look at all these sounds we have in our language and the ways to spell them, you know? And so, yeah, it's a gradual process. Yeah. I think it's a great way to be vulnerable too with, with your students. Like, Hey, I'm learning about this too. And, and I think it would, it would be a great tool to, to try out. I mean, maybe not, and that's okay. But I, I just, I find so much value in kids seeing vulnerability and, and teachers trying something new and mm-hmm. being honest about that. So I think that yeah. and it does like really, I think, bring you together as a class team and, yeah, you know, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not like the thing that's going to correct, you know, it's like I said, it's not the main event. It's my instruction is right. Yeah. So Your and instruction the learning is, strong. The learning yes. is the, I guess I should say the learning with students. Right. You know, that's yes. the main event. So anyone can throw a poster up on the wall. Right. Yeah. So it's just how you use it, how you interact. I with know. It. I know. That's what I think, too. I'm like, oh, some of the posters I had back in the day, I don't know that I would put up again, but. Yeah. I didn't know that until I tried it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a poster that was like, guess the covered word. And it was, oh. uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so definitely anyone putting up a sound wall and not understanding it is better than that. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> so speaking uh, of that, <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that you mentioned on the science of reading podcast that I just wanted to like dig in with you a little bit was around 
uh, idea of like having some guilt over some things you did in the past, like yes. the one you just mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want to, I, I think that yeah. the teachers can just really relate to that and feeling like, I mean, we, are, we get a lot of emails from teachers yeah. about this. Yeah. So. I mean, the teacher guilt is a real thing. And I just, I think back about, you know, those, those students that I, that I wasn't able to help. And I just, you know, I feel awful. I wish, I wish I would have known what I know now. And especially with my son, I just think about, gosh, when he was in kindergarten, I could have done so much for him. I, if, but I didn't know. And I, and I wouldn't have had so much clarity if it wasn't for him, you know, right. so I right. feel so bad. He's the reason though, that, you know, I know what I know and that I can be an effective teacher now is all because of him. And, um, so I, I taught a, a presentation once and the teacher came up to me afterwards, just crying. Like mm. what? And she's like, why didn't anyone tell us this? Like, think of all the students I could have helped. And so it's just hard. It's, it's tragic. And, um, you know, it's like going through the, the steps of grief, you know, and, um, and you get a lot of denial at first. Right. And we hear those stories and, or now you hear the people that are upset and no, you know, um, and, and, and it's hard because yeah, certainly like not everything you're doing is harmful and some of it is though, and, but not for all students. So Mm -hmm. that's what makes it kind of tricky. And so it's just, it's hard. And I just, my, like my heart goes out to teachers because I was one of them. So I know how that feels. Um, yeah, but I just think we have to, you know, I love the phrase we have no better, do better. And that's what we've got to just move past it. And, um, and we got to forgive each other. Mm-hmm. I think that brings us to a piece of advice, um, that you'd like to leave for educators. Uh, any thoughts on what you'd like to share with those listening? Yeah, I have, um, like I have a, a, a blog on like first steps with the science of reading. And I just think it's, it's baby steps. So it's just, you know, it can be overwhelming to think, oh my goodness, I have to overhaul everything I'm doing. Yeah. You just, um, and you might not, right. But it's just one foot in front of the others and, um, you know, choose one thing at a time and just take small steps. So, and, and I said this, you know, have grace, have grace with yourself and, and with others. We will definitely link your blog. I have it all ready to go in the show notes. Um, We'll link your article, which I know is on your blog, but we'll directly link that since we talked about it. We'll link books. We will post everything that we've talked about. Um, But we just want to thank you for being so honest today and for taking a deep dive and being very specific about what you do to support your students. And we just can't thank you enough. Your students are so lucky to have you. Your kids are so lucky to have you. And mm-hmm. the education community is lucky as well. So thank you <laughs> thank so much you. for being thank here. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's so great to meet you. Nice to meet you guys too. Thank you so much for listening, Literacy Lovers. Be sure to visit our website to subscribe to our newsletter and podcast. It's literacypodcast.com. Yep. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Most of them are at Literacy Podcast. Yes. And please, please, please reach out to us. Melissa, what's our email address? Melissa and Lori at literacypodcast.com is our email address. 
And we love getting emails from you all. And <laughs> Lori we and really I really read them. Yeah, and we, we really, really respond. Fun. We just love we love when you all reach out and we we get to have conversations with you. So please, please email yep. us. Let us know what you're thinking, what you're thinking about literacy, what you're thinking about ideas for us to podcast about. Yes, ideas for <laughs> podcasting, anything. We we love to hear from you what you liked, what you want. Yeah, We're here for you. Mostly y'all are asking questions, which is great. Yes. <laughs> we don't mind that either. Yes. We're so glad you're here to learn with us. Thank you, everybody.